So on this episode of Buzzing About Romance, we are talking all about the rom-com. And for episode, for this episode, I'm joined by three amazing rom-com authors. So I would like to welcome Karen Gray to the podcast. Welcome back, Karen. Thank you. Um, and then Lainey Davis is joining us. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And then we have Susanna Nix. Welcome Hello. to the podcast. Thanks. Um, I'm excited to have you all here. We're excited to be here. I am anyway. I don't know about you two. <laughs> I love anytime I get to talk about rom-coms. Right. Well, it's and- kind of like a small meeting of our regular Friday group. So mm-hmm. that's always good. Yeah. Too. I chat with these ladies every Friday when I can make it. <laughs> when you can make it. That's kind of nice. So that's something that is interesting to me, kind of the coupling or grouping up of authors that they do, um, because I think being an author can be pretty solitary, right? Like, because... You're absolutely, yeah. On Very your, much so. <laughs> on your own with your yeah. ideas. Yeah, and, you know, I have a pretty rich writer literary community here in Pittsburgh, but nobody's writing romance. And it's just been so wonderful to talk. We talk every week, this group of rom-com writers. Um, so Karen and Susanna and a couple others. It's a couple. That's a ton. It's a, yeah, big, it's a pretty big group. Yeah. I'm like a natural hermit. So like I have to actually force myself to socialize and seek out authors and do things because my instinct is to just like, you know, go into gremlin mode and just like, you know, just do my own thing in my own head all the time. And that's not really great. No, <laughs> no, it's kind of like being, I mean, really, I started a podcast so I could talk about books with people because I work from home and I, at the time I was homeschooling my children, but now they're college. Um, and so I had no one to talk about books and my poor husband did not want to talk about romance books 24 <laughs> seven, but now he listens to me talk about them with other people. <laughs> so poor man, poor guy, he's he'll survive. Um, so let's get to know you three just a little bit before we talk about the rom-com, because I have questions about the rom-com. Um, Lainey, what is something um, you love about romance? What is it that draws you to romance? I love that everything works out. And it's not just that the hero and heroine or whatever pairing or, or tripling uh, it happens to be in the book, but every everybody's interpersonal relationships work out. Everybody's career aspirations work out. And I just find that so comforting and I need that. Yeah. And I love it. Um, what about for you, Karen? What is it about rom- uh, romance that draws you in? I think it's the um, sense of hope that, that it, it's like weird, weird acknowledging in the universe by both writing and reading romance that um i mean i would d- disagree with with laney in that I, I feel like it doesn't have to be if, what i love is that things work out but not the way you expect necessarily expect them to which i think is true in life if you can have that attitude so to me it's kind of like uh, a reminder and uh, and just that feeling of that there is hope and we can always find some way to to um, heal our wounds, I guess you know, yeah. and to be and to come together. Um, so, Susanna, what about for you? What is it about romance that draws you in? So, I originally, when I was going to start writing 
original fiction, I thought I was going to be a fantasy writer and I was going to write these big epic fantasies with all this world building because that's what I used to read. And I realized as I was trying to write this book that the only parts of it I actually cared about were the parts where the man and woman who were attracted to each other were in a room forced to talk to each other. That's all I wanted to write was put two people who are meant to be together in a room and make them fight, talk, flirt, whatever. That's all I wanted to write. And so I realized, wait, why am I writing fantasy? I should be writing romance. There is something about that forcing someone to face their feelings mm-hmm. um, and you know the push to make what you want your dreams to happen. And getting to relive that sort of that first blush of love, that first realization that you have, there's this, that feeling that you get in your chest. That's all like tingly. Like when you're, when you first fall in love or realize you might be falling in love or you first realize someone is falling in love with you. Like I love getting to relive that feeling with every book. I love the I love the flirting of romance and I married, you know, I've been married for 25 years. So we've not, we don't really flirt anymore, right? Because, you know, life and whatever. But I love the flirting that happens in a book. The banter, the subtle signals that, you know, indicate interest and stuff like that. And I think it's kind of fun. Now, I will tell people, I will fix your words because that's the day job is the copy editor, developmental editor. But I cannot write the words. But I love when you guys give us really great banter and really great flirtiness in a book. Is that challenging to write or does it just kind of happen? Some of it just happens for me. This is Lainey speaking. Um, I, I do have to work on that. That is usually my work in revision is adding more of the banter. And honestly, the more I listen to audiobooks, the better I get at dialogue, I think. I have to say that it's funny because to me, this is Karen and who was an audiobook narrator for a long time and an actor, that's what comes first is I, like when I was, um, I was a reader before I was even an actor, before I was doing any of this stuff. And I I always loved reading about what authors, I, I loved reading what authors said about their writing. And when people talked about the characters that the characters would like, do their own thing and talk in their heads without being being under their control. I thought that was total bullshit, but honestly, that happens to me. And if I can just get into the zone, then I just have to take down the dictation of the of the little the conversations that are going on. And the hard part is then um, putting in all the the blocking, I guess, in a way that that other people can see it the way that I see it, but. I, you know, like I said, it's like they, they do, once I find the characters, once I get them set up, then they just start talking. Yeah. That's how I know I'm in the groove with a book is that like, I, I just, I will write just the dialogue first, just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. No internal monologue, no description. I don't know what room they're in. I don't know what they're wearing. Like, it's just the dialogue. Like that's kind of my outlines almost when I'm first working on a story. Now, I'm not saying the dialogue is easy, like the witty banter, like it takes forever to perfect it. So it's actually witty and not just whatever like <laughs> crap comes out of my head. <laughs> the crap wants to come out of my head when I'm in the zone. That's so interesting that you two do it the total opposite of me. I love that. So, Susanna, do you see your stories 
as a movie or is it just voices in your head um, or is it just one inspiration point and then you write? How do your ideas come to you? It's kind of evolved over time and it varies from book to book a little bit. It used to be very much like I would pick an actor who I was very familiar with and base the character on his his or her mannerisms, their face, what their, their voice, because I could literally hear their voice in my head. And I think part of this is because I used to write fan fiction. That's where I learned to write was writing fan fiction. So I was literally, everything I was writing was actual characters that I knew intimately. And so when I first started writing original fiction, I would pick an actor and I would hear their voice saying my dialogue in my head and see their face making the funny faces and try to describe them. I don't do that as much as I used to. I think I've evolved sort of past that. So now I just kind of make up imaginary people in my head. Okay. Um, but it does kind of play out like a movie. Does it? What about for you, Lainey? Does it play out like a movie? Is it just voices in your head or is it one plot point and you just kind of go... Yeah, that's such an interesting question. When I'm starting a new, I write in series, interconnected series. And when I'm starting book one, I think it does kind of start out like a movie. But by the time I'm at like book four, and I've really, I really know these people, um, then it's just, I don't know, it's just pouring out of me. And I'm the vessel. The, the conduit it, to the paper. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Uh, what about you, Karen? Well, I learned... I, as well as being an actor, I taught acting and I taught vo vocal production for a long time. And through that experience, I learned that I am, my imagination works physically, like in my body and then orally and visual is the last, and I, which I think is why it's hard for me. Like I used to think I had no imagination when I would take acting classes because they would say, picture yourself in a safe place, in a beautiful place. And I could see nothing, literally nothing. And I thought I have no imagination. And then somewhere along the line, I think it was working with students where I was, I finally realized, wait a minute, not everyone's imagination works this way. People have like different ins. So when I finally started to recognize that for my own acting and for students, I, I mean, look at me, I'm, I'm, my hands are going. And I was like, when I would, when I would do audiobooks, I was constantly like hitting the mic because my whole body sort of does. So when I'm writing, sometimes I'm like moving as I'm typing and, and then it's, I hear things. And really, like I said, the la the very last thing is seeing it. I have to reach for it almost. I have to really sort of pull it in to me because it's the hardest part that's so fascinating so I, that's completely the opposite because i i really see it like i literally i have to know what furniture's in the room i have to go in zillow and find what their house looks like and then i have to furnish it and no i have literally blocked the scene in my head like they're actors and i'm their director like i have to see where they're walking across around the room as i'm writing it's that's so funny <laughs> So it's really interesting. We just recently learned, my husband and I were having a random conversation based off of TikTok, which seems to be our life these days. But I didn't realize that when you, like when you're in school and a teacher says, close your eyes and picture a flower, that some people don't actually see a flower? Like, mm -hmm. what? Because I close my eyes, I see the flower. My husband closes his eyes, he just sees black. 
Yeah, yeah. I've never seen the fucking flower my whole life. <laughs> it's actually a scene in one of my books where people are having this conversation because I read it on the internet a few years ago. So I wrote a scene where somebody's like, and so she pulls all the fr the friend group and they are all like talking about what they see in their heads. Cause like, it's such a fascinating thing. Like, and and it's so weird, you know, some people don't uh, hear conversations in their head or if, you know, if you're, and so here we all are, the three of us with our brains that are operating so differently and we're writing books that I think really go together very nicely. So it, it's weird, I, you know, the end product is the same, even though our processes are so different. Yeah. Brains are amazing. It's so interesting to me because, yes, like you, we pulled the friend group. I pulled all of my podcast contributors and I'm like, if I tell you to close your eyes and see a white house, do you close your eyes and see a white house? And most of them were like, yes, yes, you do. There were two that were like, no. But that's the other thing. Like, I didn't realize that some people just read the words and read words when they read a book. Like, they don't build the scene in their brain. I don't understand that. Like, well, and some people don't think in words. I think in, I like think the word, like as if I'm writing everything I think it's like a word in my head as if yeah. I'm about to write it down. Yeah. But some people don't do that. I just know. Yeah, <laughs> Look at Karen. She's like, what is wrong with you people? But it's no. like, have you ever about Howard Gardner and all the different intelligences? That's mm. what sort of flipped my understanding was that if we can have all these different ways of learning um, and different intelligence strengths, it's gotta be the same in creativity. So it's not necessarily about the product, it's about your way in and and about recognizing that different people have different ways right. in. So one of the things that we all have in common is you all write the rom-com and I read the rom-com. Um, so, when we say rom-com, we're talking about romantic comedies, romance novels that will have a lighter side to them. I really do think that rom-com does not get the love in this community that it really deserves. Because I think it's really difficult to balance some of the fun and absurdities that happen in rom-coms with these really elegant romantic journeys and stories um and i think they're undervalued in this community and i think we need to like bring a little bit more spotlight i also think that there's a hard there's a line a lot of times where people just assume rom-coms are going to be women's fiction mm. that it's going to have that emily henry slow burn more you know personal journey versus an actual romance with an HEA. But all of you write exceptional rom-coms with HEAs um, and you're all open door. Nobody mm -hmm. is shutting the door. So people take note. These are the rom-coms to read. Because um, mm -hmm. One are... of my series is closed door, just FYI. Well, I did my know- My series is closed door, but the others are all super steamy. <laughs> I did know that because I was going through things and one of my contributors, Jenny, is a huge- uh, smarty pants romance person like she is and she's like well you know she did write a series that was closed door don't get 
I'm like, it hey. gradually gets steamier as the series goes along. Cause I, it was my debut and I didn't, I wasn't ready emotionally to go full on explicit in my debut novel. So it like gradually gets steamier leading people into the steamier series to come. That's okay. That's okay. We just, we are, a, we are a spicy podcast. <laughs> our, our friends want, they want the spice. Like we got duped once. <laughs> once i you will not have anxiety with our books yes that is a great term because i'm yes um it, it was ragey at 98 percent. i threw my kindle like i'm like <laughs> it does feel a little like bullshit? betrayal if you don't know going yes. in like i don't really have a preference like i'm fine either way when i'm reading a book but i like to know what to expect right like it feels like i've been thrown if like if i think it's one thing and it turns out to be the other and this is it my distrust so of book talk because don't tell me yeah. your shit's steamy and then there's one scene at 89%. People have such weird ideas about what steamy means. Like the, like the like some people will be like, that's not steamy at all. That's like really tame. And then other people will be like, that's the dirtiest thing I've ever read in my life. And I'm like, you guys are, what's happening here with your lives? Like what? <laughs> I thought it was so interesting that Becky, you know, made the comparison to women's fiction because I think sometimes people will pick up one or two of my books and maybe expect it to be women's fiction and then I get a bunch of negative reviews like this book is filthy and I have started you know making memes out of those reviews because I want to <laughs> I want to reach readers who are looking for the I wonder how much the expectation is based in movies too because rom-com movies tend to be very PG like there's no there's rarely sex in them there's a couple that have sex but for the most part so people think it's this sort of cute you know they kiss the end like and uh that's not what we write (laughs) that's a really interesting point I think think there's a continuum in rom-com on so many levels of of both the um sexiness but also the personal journey as well as the uh, the kind of humor all of those things exist in a continuum do you know what i'm saying no yeah i can agree with that i agree with that i do think that traditional rom-com movies that take place in theaters by big production companies tend not to be spicy but if we look at some of the rom-coms that are being produced, say, over in the streaming in the streaming realm, realm like over on Netflix, uh, Sophie Kinsel had one come out earlier this summer that is, um, I can't think of the title, but it was based on one of her books, and it had a scene in it. Like, it had spicy scenes, um, and I don't think it would have had those scenes had it gone into movie theaters. I mean, there was a period where they kind of took sex out of movies for the most part, especially movies that were about women. It's like women weren't allowed to enjoy sex. Yeah. And people didn't want R ratings. And so, and any woman that experiences pleasure on screen, it's an automatic R rating. And they didn't want that because then you can't sell as many tickets. But yeah, streaming gives them more freedom. There's one called Holiday, I think, on Netflix. I love that. Super raunchy. Like, I just, I was like, ah, raunchy rom-com. Where have you been all my life? I need more of those. Well, I was really into the one, the one a couple years ago with Brooke Shields and Carrie Elwes. And they oh, have- yeah. Yeah, the castle and one in Scotland. I loved that it was like people in their 50s, yeah. like still being horny. And it was a fade to black movie, but it was very, I mean, there was a bathtub scene. So 
I was here for that and I'm here for it in the page as well. I think what people think of Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan and like they never took their clothes off. Like Nope. And I really am liking the movement of I'm trying to think of the one that I watched recently, like she went sex toy shopping. Mm. And and I'm like, okay, great. This yeah. is awesome. Let's do more of this. Um that is definitely a theme in some of my books. This is good <laughs> to know. Yeah, um, I even I even did a partnership with a, a sex toy shop um, for when I did the special editions of my Brady family series, because there's a couple of the books where the heroines are out buying toys. We were we were laughing at something the other night. My husband was like, why do people travel with their toys, like their pleasure toys? And I'm like, you know what? Sometimes things happen and you just have a free moment and you got to take care of business. I also think it leads to so much funniness. So yes. That sounds like a great TSA airport scene to me. I think so. Right? Totally. Yeah. There's a meet cute right there. Karen's using gestures. (laughs) (laughs) So if we so if we're talking rom-coms, what elements need to be in a rom-com? What do if if I say, okay, this is a rom-com, you're writing a rom-com, what elements are you expecting to find in those books? I mean, I, I was thinking about this because you said sent the questions in advance. And I I wrote a rom-com that was a marriage in crisis and the, the central like issue was infertility. And I was worried about it. But I really think that the difference between a rom-com and more of a standard romance is like the approach to the challenge. Um, there's still lighthearted dialogue. There's, um, even though it's a serious situation, it's not an angst driven plot. Um, yeah, I don't know. So I just, I think it's more of the the approach to how the characters are solving their, their wounds. Yeah, I think it's a tone thing. Um, and it's almost like the characters having a sense of humor about their own lives and that people who approach even crises with humor, which is, I think, maybe how all three of us live our lives as far as I can tell. So, you know, it's maybe something that we just sort of bring our point of view on the world. Um, I think that's one of the things that's trickiest about the genre is that comedy is very personal everybody has their own very distinct idea of what's funny and what's funny to me is not going to be funny to everybody and a lot of the stuff that some people think it's funny I'm like that's not funny so like it's it's hard to to be universally funny and so I think there's there's you know some people want slapstick some people want witty banter some people want sarcasm some people want outrageous over-the-top situations everybody's got their own expectations for the genre that they bring to the books which are not always met because it's just not a universal you know everybody's idea of funny is different you know we were talking a little bit before we started recording and Susanna has a book cream and punishment that has this scene in it with a menstrual cup fiasco and I had to email her as soon as I read it because I have had menstrual cup fiascos <laughs> and oh my gosh, the idea of the hero being present for a menstrual cup fiasco, like at work, at the office, <laughs> at the office. I just thought it was like the perfect representation of something that everyone with a uterus like dreads and there it is on the page and moving the plot forward. And I 
thought it was amazing and I'm still thinking about it months later. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and that book has actually got some pretty heavy themes. Like it's got kind of a manipulative parents is sort of the overriding like conflict going on in there. And like they have some, these characters have real wounds, but I guess one of the, the great things about uh, rom-coms is that you can use tension to sort, or you can use humor to break the tension you know things start to get heavy and then you can throw in something funny but also the funny is not meant to cut people down or hurt right. them like so like that thing happened to her and that was embarrassing it's funny to read but it was also desperately embarrassing for her but it was also like the hero stepped up and was really kind to her in that moment which brought them together and so it's not about embarrassing her so much as it's about showing him, you know, showing his compassion and kindness. Well, and also it's like, I think sometimes we take life really seriously. And um, when you pull out these moments of the absurd, it just, uh, it shifts the whole tone. And it was perfect for a rom-com. I think I, I agree with what Susanna was saying about humor being personal and styles of humor being personal. But I think what our job is, and I think what when it works, is when we build a world where everything makes sense and that the humor is is like embedded in the world in that world. So it's the the hum the kind of humor is is what needs to happen. So it's not like something that is sort of pasted on afterwards. It's it evolves out of the situation um, and that that's what makes it work. So even if, you know, it might not be funny to me in some other situation, I get how it's funny because I'm in it because with the characters, if that makes sense. Yeah, the, the best humor is always rooted in character. Like it comes out of you know who the people who they are and who you know them to be so like if you just have someone just recite a joke that has nothing to do with them or this you know like that just an out of context joke is never going to be as funny as something that you've built up to so this brings me there's, go ahead there's Karen. a couple of ways of looking at like i i don't know where i got this from i think it was probably from some improv class or something but it's like humor could be real people in ridiculous circumstances or ridiculous people in real circumstances. And, and it's how you sort of either go one way or the other or bring those together, I think is what creates sort of your brand of humor if there's such a thing. So this brings me to this next question though. So I feel like it's harder to relate comedy on the page than it is to on the screen because we aren't getting the facial cues like when you watch a movie you know it's supposed to be funny because based on facial cues the physicality of the joke and that kind of thing so it has to be more of a challenge to write that because you have to write that body mm. language those cues into your story so how do you do that without having the jokes fall flat well I think a big thing is what Susanna said a few minutes ago, which was that you can't just tell jokes. I mean, we're not stand-up comedians, right? We're, I think so much of it has to be character-based, situational, and part of the happening in the play, in the play. I'm 
kind of <laughs> in the yeah. book. Um, so, but I think a lot of it too is that what we were talking about earlier on, which is being so specific about the blocking, about describing what's happening so that we are, <laughs> despite people like me having a failing and being able to picture things, so that we are painting that picture in all the senses so that we put you, the reader, in the circumstance so you feel what's happening and you feel the embarrassment and the sort of ah, of the diva cup accident <laughs> you know we we sort of put you through that ringer but then make you feel hopefully the the relief of the humor yeah i think we have to definitely tell the humor is different the the humor we're we're able to use is very different than the humor on screen because i feel like on screen 50% of the humor comes from the actor's charisma and performance and so you can have a line that on the page is not funny but the way the actor delivers it makes it funny and i can't do that in a book like i just can't describe a character saying two words in a way that's going to make you laugh the way a talented comedic actor can make you laugh by saying two words like it's just not going to be in my arsenal so you do have to come at across come at it a little bit differently you have to sort of set things up a little bit more i think a lot of it too is the external plot that we create around our characters so karen i'm thinking of your what happens in carolina's story where we have this like very organized woman who is thrust into the chaos of a hurricane Right. So because she is this organized and responsible person and everything around her is falling apart and it ends up being hilarious because everything is going wrong and she has to respond to that. And so it's not that she's sitting on the page making hilarious commentary. It's that like we're watching what happens as she has to like shelter in a hotel. Well, and you're inside her head enough to where you know the character intimately and so you know that this is like <laughs> it makes the situation it amplifies the situation because you know how the character is going to react do you think so i personally always synonymously put meet cutes with rom-coms like to me that's kind of a checklist element in rom-coms but i have read some that don't have meet cutes but typically i come to expect it do you think rom-coms need meet cutes what about you Lainey do you think they need a meet cute so you know I'm thinking of my marriage in crisis rom-com where we start out and the couple's already married um but all of my other rom-coms I do have them meet one another in absurd ways and I do think it's related to what we were just talking about where we've set up the character's personality traits and then thrust them into some sort of situation uh where they're a fish out of water or something so and that is when i have them meet their love match typically so yes you need meet cutes what about Apart from the marriage it's important of to set the tone early in a story to let people know you want to cue readers that this story is going to have humor in it this is not like a serious dark angsty story and so i think that is a good use of the meet cute like it's just it's a helpful tool if somebody says you have to have a, a meet cute in every rom-com, it makes me want to try and write one that doesn't have it just to prove I can do it. But so, I mean, I think it's possible to do it without it, but I do think it's a really useful tool that I think is, there's a reason that most of them have it because it is. I'm not telling you they have to have it. It's just like <laughs> synonymous in my head. You say rom-com, 
I think meet cute. That's just, you know, uh, Karen, do they need meet cutes? Because I will say your latest release, I Want It That Way, didn't really have a meet cute. No, no, I, I don't purposely put them in, but I think, but what I'm thinking about is what Susanna just said about tone is that, so I think when you, when you first bring the, um, when we first meet the hero and heroine, whether or not they are meeting for the first time, but when we as a reader meet them together, that's got to be where at least one of them, if not both of them, are their most vulnerable, mm -hmm. right? And so there's got to be some big problem. And in a rom-com, um, I think that's an opportunity for humor. Whereas in a different genre, it's an opportunity to just torture them more. <laughs> or, but I mean, we torture them, but it's a, in a funny way. In a funny way, with bodily yeah. fluids. Bottle, yeah, and you know, things, um, <laughs> things being dumped, uh, yeah, Despites. animals causing a problem, you know, chaos, all those things. Dessert having been dropped on the floor. <laughs> yeah. So do you, what do you think are some of the, one of the hardest tropes to write in a rom-com? Um, like, Marriage I think in crisis. Marriage, <laughs> I'm telling you, I didn't know you had a marriage in crisis book and I've already just downloaded it because yeah. I'm obsessed with marriage in crisis. I don't think we Me get it too. enough, um, but I also like secret babies. So, you know, what do I know? <laughs> I, I find second chance romance to be so hard because in a second chance romance, you have to have had them break up in a way that is not irredeemable. But readers love second chance romance. So I'm working on one right now. Um, and it's, I find it very challenging. I feel, I feel like it has to be, I have two second chance romances and I think it has to be outside circumstances. Like they can't have screwed up too much, at least not in a way that destroys their character. But to me, it's enemies to lovers because I can't have people being too horrible and mean and I know there's a way to do it that that it's not that they're enemies because of circumstances again but I have yet to do it success it always turns into something else like I try to write it and it goes down a different path it goes down a different yeah, path. yeah enemies to lovers is a really tough tightrope to walk for me personally I think it people often go in my opinion personally not I'm saying you know but for my preferences people often go a little too far in the whole setting them up as enemies and then I can't root for them because I feel like they've been too mean to each other and so I have a really hard time bringing people back from <laughs> from it's it's hard it's a hard tightrope <laughs> I struggle with enemies to lovers it's one of those where I can't tell you the number I've read where at the end of the book, I'm like, did they even like each other? Yes. Like, oh my God. I yes. know they're like, together, why but are they together. Yeah. So don't you think, okay, so I'm going to ask this about a second chance. It's not really rom-com related, but it can be. Don't you think that second chance in rom-com specifically, I guess, would be more of a missed connection than, than a true second chance? I'm not sure. The ones I've written, I ended up having them be high school sweethearts. Okay. Uh, and and they were just separated by circumstance, like going away to college. 
So I'm not sure, Becky. The way I tend to think of second chance romance is you're writing the part of the book that comes after the third act breakup. Like the whole book is the part after. So like, you know, the part of the story that's not on the page is the part leading up to their third act breakup. Then they have a third act breakup, time passes, and then you're coming in to tell the, you know, the part where they actually get together. Um, if you think about it like that, then I kind of, so I'm basically writing two romance novels when I'm doing sex because I have their whole early, previous relationship in my head and then I have to like write the whole next relationship. Twice the um, work. <laughs> that's when you turn it into a prequel. That right, I was just thinking. Give away to your subscribers. <laughs> you know, I, I planned to do that with the second chance that I wrote and I was like, I didn't want to write it. After I had gotten them together, I didn't want to write the their er, previous relationship where I knew they were going to break up. I couldn't make myself do it. <laughs> well see for me I had already written it because I couldn't imagine it without the writing of it so then it was done so then I'll have to do something with this so yeah mm -hmm. um okay so this is a question again it's just a romance general question but it made me think do you think romance needs a third act breakup no well that's been a hot topic lately yeah. um and I think the consensus that I that made the most sense to me is that it doesn't need to be a breakup necessarily, but there needs to be some sort of circumstance that really like tests the, the dark moment, the dark moment. They need to be tested and they need to grow as a result of that test and overcome their own, like whatever wounds or flaws they're carrying around that are driving them apart. They need to overcome and be grow beyond that and then come back together. They don't actually have to break up, but there definitely needs to be a challenge. I just, you know, you can't just have, okay, they've kissed, they've had sex. Now they're happily for, happy forever, no problems. Like, that's boring. <laughs> what do you think, Karen? I just nodded along to what they ever said. Yeah. yeah. So I will tell you, and I think this comes, so I've been, I am older than I look, and I get this, everybody's like, no way. Yes. I've been reading romance since 1990, and I started in the Bodice Ripper in the old school mass markets. And um, I think romance needs miscommunication. And I think we need third act breakups. I struggle often. It has to be really well written for me to truly believe in that HEA. Um, if there isn't some kind of really good dark moment or a third act breakup. Like to me, romance, I need to feel like the bottom dropping out because that gives me hope. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. It gives me hope in my own life. Like, even right. if we're like yeah. sucking right now, tomorrow's going to be better. Yeah. I mean, I think that is one of the big appeals of romance is that idea that it can seem like the end of the world. And then you go past it. Things get better. Like it, yeah. you heal, you grow. You have to do the work. You have, yeah, you have to, to put in the you work. Have to face your dragons and yeah. yeah. But there's something really satisfying about that, like that black moment where the character is just at the bottom of the well and then they climb out of that well and they come back out into the sunlight. Like that's what you really want. That's the catharsis, you know. Some of the stuff I've been reading lately is about how Gen Z, you know, has gone through so much adversity at a like pivotal moment of their life with the pandemic that they really are seeking some books that don't have the adversity right where it just carries on as a happy story and I think of stuff like legends and lattes and maybe some of the more like cozy holiday romance which doesn't necessarily mean there's no spice but I I think there is a value in in a nice snacky 
book with no drama whatsoever. But Becky, I, I'm the kind of reader like you where I, I do like there to be some turmoil and see everybody's resilience. I'm a parent. Well, people of... have to grow. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I just, people have to grow or else it's not a story. Like that's the sort of the definition of a story is the characters different at the end than they were at the beginning. So okay. like, you know, there yeah. has to be change. I'm also the reader that does not read epilogues. Oh. So here is my deal on epilogues. And this, everybody says this is like my most toxic bookish trait. I don't really think it's toxic, but apparently my community does. Um, I believe that an author has to sell me, if they have to use an epilogue to sell me on an HEA, then they needed to write more chapters in the book. Hmm. If I think of the epilogue as the whipped cream. It's But a lot of authors use the epilogue to cement and confirm mm. the HEA. And I don't, I don't want that. I want to be able to say, this is the end of the book without, because an epilogue is a bonus, right? It's supposed to be extra. I want to be sold on the relationship within the confines of the book. Um, and I think, again, it comes from reading The Bodice Rippers, because if you think about many of those, the marriage was the starting point. And then they had to learn how to live together in historical romances. So we got the epilogue. They, all the good stuff happened after the marriage. And I also don't need marriage, babies, or an engagement to believe in an HEA. Yeah, same. I don't yeah. need I it. With you in theory. And when I first started writing romances, I my instinct was not to do the epilogue because I find epilogues really boring because there's no conflict. Yeah. Um, but people wanted them and I got tired of reading reviews <laughs> complaining that there was an epilogue and honestly two of my favorite writers Kylie Scott and Charlotte Stein don't write epilogues and their characters they, she cements the HEA and then bam the story's over that's it as soon as the characters have like committed to each other end of story go you know and I I actually kind of it makes me kind of sad because I'm like, I just want a little bit more where they're happy. Right. I just want to right. see them happy. Like So your Bennett does not write epilogues. Um, I can give you a list. And a lot of them are authors that came out of writing in like because Kylie Scott, she wrote some in the love swept mm -hmm. um uh categories, which were longer categories than say the Harlequin special editions and stuff like that. But a lot of them came out of that where it was a continuing series and the next couple started where the last book ended. So they trained their readers to not expect the epilogues. And now I don't want them. Sarah McLean's book, not Bombshell, the latest one just came out. And she always like introduces like the key tension of the following book in the epilogue. Um, and now if I had taken your stance on it, I wouldn't be sitting here like, ah, oh, I have to wait an entire year to find out what's going to happen with the Duchess. <laughs> no, I, yeah, that's just, you know, one of those things. Um, how do you feel that rom-coms have changed over the years? Cause well, I think it goes a lot to the, what we were talking about earlier about sex and women's pleasure. And I feel like this is a very political thing and that, we are much more comfortable in centering women's pleasure and women's sexual fulfillment in our books um, than even, I don't know, like 10 years ago. Yeah. I think Karen nailed it. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, okay, so we had questions because some of our re- community um, equate rom-com to movies. So we're just going to ask if you can think of a book. It can be your own book. Self-promotion uh, is absolutely encouraged. Um, so if you were to like these following rom-com movies, what books do you think give similar v- vibes? So first up is How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, which is a co-worker's close proximity, she's the boss, a fake relationship. So, yeah, this is Lainey. I think if you're into that vibe, then you will dig Sarah Hogel's You Deserve Each Other, which is not a workplace romance, but they start out engaged, but they hate each other. Um, and so they're each trying to figure out how they can get the other one to bail on and break up the, uh, the engagement. Oh. And it's perfection. Um, what do you have, Karen? Oh, how to lose a guy in 10 days. I was wrong. They're, they're kind of coworkers, close proximity, but she's not the boss. They're competing, right? That's the, that's the one with Matthew McConaughey, right? Either rival, like rival journalists yeah. or something. Yes, rival magazines. I don't read rivals to lovers very much. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, I got nothing on that one. That's okay. Um, so the next one is The Proposal, which is She's the Boss. That's uh, Sarah Bullock and Ryan Reynolds. And Yeah, I can do this one. <laughs> okay. I, know that, I love this movie. So. It has hilarious uh, Betty White scene in it. <laughs> Yes. Uh, yeah. So that's a marriage of convenience. It's a green card marriage and he's her assistant. Um, and she's the mean boss. Um, and so for that one, I would say, uh, Christina Lauren's roomies, which is also a green card marriage or, um, another marriage of convenience that I love is Kate Canterbury's in a jam. Um, so oh, funny. Yeah. I love it. And it's not, I like Kate Canterbury because her humor is not so much the slapstick. It's more witty dialogue, but then also there's 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 a little girl who just swears up a storm and dresses like a pirate, and it is the funniest thing. Like this girl's just always dropping f bombs into every com. She's just there commentating with like swear words. This little like six year old. The best part in that book are the names of the dogs. Yes, like the dogs. Bernie are Sanders and. <laughs> <laughs> I well, like there's it. not that much slapstick in it, except for though there is like a sex toy scene that's pretty slapsticky. Yeah. <laughs> I, I this I don't know what movies relate to, but I just finished reading Yours Truly by um Abby Jimenez. And I, I gotta tell you, a swearing parrot that gets me mm-hmm. up. You know, Sorry. I think to me that's a really great thing in a rom-com is that you can have like these kids or um uh you know roommates co-workers you you know you can really have so much fun with the crazy side uh elements and that I, one i saw it t- always good I saw always a, all right i saw a tiktok the other day the dog stole the man's underwear and they were <laughs> he was chasing it was a golden retriever chasing it around the house like can i have that back please <laughs> and i was like oh my god this needs to be in a this needs to be in a book, right? Like a scene, the dog got locked out of the room, things happened, and then, you know, <laughs> breaks in and gets the underwear. I think those are hilarious. Uh, what about you, Lainey? Do you have a wreck for the proposal? Well, yeah, my latest release, Last Call, is a green card marriage rom-com. So there's no swearing children, and I don't <laughs> think there's any pets. 
<laughs> but there are sisters and there is there there is humor otherwise <laughs> i love funny old people and that's one of the things that i love in that movie is betty white is a hoot and if you haven't read a proposal they can't refuse by natalie kenya i cannot recommend this book enough it is an irish grandpa and a dominican grandpa that are best friends in a nursing home and they get in all sorts of trouble and their children are their grandchildren are neighbors the irish side of the family has a distillery and the dominican has a restaurant and they are kind of in the middle of the neighborhood being gentrified and the grandfathers tell them if they don't get married they they're going to sell their buildings and their businesses because they still own the family businesses but so much hilarity like what was that called again um a proposal they can't refuse by natalie kenya c-a-n-a um it's so great and it's perfect because this is um latin heritage month hispanic heritage month right now so it um she is a uh, bipoc author so i highly recommend that one awesome um and the audiobook is top notch um and there's also a scene in a tasting room which i like whiskey so it works for me <laughs> um okay so clueless which is step siblings mm-hmm. I don't even know if I've read anything with step siblings. I think that must yeah. be really to do like the forbidden kind of taboo trope within rom com. I think I mean, it's a little... okay. Wait, just start with Clueless is just Emma. It's Jane Austen, so that's what I, that's my answer. It's me, Jane Austen. <laughs> just read Emma. <laughs> well, I could totally pimp my 1980s series here because yeah. if you love Clueless then you're probably going back in time to watch 80s. I mean, Clueless is so sort of full of 80s. Um, uh, what do we want to say memorabilia, but, you know, all the the fashion and the music and all those sort of things. So, and that's my 80s series. So yeah. I'll throw that in there. Okay. Uh, Sweet Home, Alabama, which is second chance, small town. Um, Well, technically, it's marriage in crisis, too, isn't it? Because they're technically still married. Yeah. Do you have a rec, Karen? I'm trying to think of, are there Southern? I mean, my second series is Southern small town rom-com. But I'm having a hard time thinking of uh, in the back of my head. I'm really hoping that your next book that's coming out in the Carolina series will have some of these Sweet Home Alabama vibes because it's kind of second chance. and Yes, that is true. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, also, and like I'm going to need that book. Sweethearts Soon. element. Yeah, yes. Karen, you could get yeah. on that. Yeah, if you could read that gotta, book a little faster. <laughs> I got to work on that book. Gosh, Karen. (laughs) Lainey, what about you? Do you have a Sweet Home Alabama rec? I mean, so my books are, I like to say that they have small town shenanigans in a big city setting. So, you know, I think that you, if you like the feel of that movie, that you'll really dig maybe some of the books in my Brady Family series, because it's this huge family that's always butting in and all of the siblings are in these kind of 
life crises. Um, we've got some secret baby in the series. Okay. I'm, you sold me like right there. Uh, Susanna, what do you think? Sweet Home Alabama? Um, okay. I have not seen the movie. Can you believe I've never seen that movie? I, I don't know why. Um, you should fix um, this, friend. I know, right? We should. Um, I, I write Southern uh, small town stuff uh so i guess my king family series um because it's all you know small town siblings in texas and there's a second chance uh and there's a brother's best friend where they were childhood friends so they're it's friends to lovers so it's not really childhood sweethearts but it's childhood besties kind of thing um people being in each other's business lots of shenanigans eccentric you know but insky small town neighbors and uh yeah um, if you haven't read Carrie Elk's uh, Hartson Creek series, I cannot recommend that series enough. There's the small town meets on Friday nights at what they call chairs. Oh. And it's like the whole town comes together and sits in chairs by the creek. And it's nothing but like Aww. gossip session. Oh, that's oh, amazing. I, um, I, I want to live there. Yeah, I think like Kate Nolan's entire catalog has Sweet Home Alabama feel. Oh, yes. That's what I was trying to think of. Yeah. Hers are a little more... They're not as commie, wrong no. but they're they're definitely, like, heartwarming, not very the, high angst. The Wishful series has an awesome set of Budinsky older women, and, and I think that series is also a little funnier. Um, and, and also, like, it's set around... A town where if you throw a coin in the fountain, then you know magical love things happen. So it's def. I think that is definitely in that. Okay. In that vein. Um. So I want to take the opportunity if a reader is listening to this uh, podcast and they have never read your books for before, um, I would like each of you to suggest for me what book. Uh, you think they should start for you um, as a reader when you're coming into an author that has a larger backlist it can sometimes be intimidating as to where you should pick up there's also the thought that you aren't writing the same in your current book as you wrote in your very first book um, so we'll start with you Susanna where should if readers are coming to you and have never read your books before where do you suggest that they start um, I would say start with my Conan only um, which is the first book in my King family series, which uh, one of my readers says it's succession with ice cream because it's a big family in a small town and they own an, an ice cream company um, that employs like half the town. And so there's a lot of sort of um, interpersonal, like interfamily drama between all the siblings and the parents. And, and that's kind of, um, but my Conan only is the first book and it's steamy and it's a brother's best friend uh, story. And it's, yeah. Okay. Start there. Um, you like, do kind of have a King Lear thing going on there. Yeah, there's, it, yeah. yeah, it's like it's very much inspired by Succession, but they're not monsters like the characters of Succession. They're they're decent people, but I definitely take a lot of inspiration from the way the siblings on Succession are all fighting for control of the company and fighting with each other and goading each other. And okay, okay, that sounds great, uh, Lainey. What about you? Where do you suggest people start for you? I would recommend my Brady family series. And the first book in that is Foundation. Uh, and I had a reader say that the series is like, this is us, but they do it. Okay. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's a big family. I'm not going back and forth in time, but I definitely am focusing in on each member of the family's backstory. Okay. 
Um, what about for you, Karen? Well, first, I'd like to second both of their recommendations because I love both of those books and also in audio. Um, yeah, I, I recommend the audio books. Um, I think weirdly, I would suggest you start in the middle with Child of Mine, which is the fourth book in my in my 80s series, but it kind of spills over into the 90s series. So if you read that and you really want to stay in the 80s, you can go back to the beginning of that series. But if you like, no, I think I'm a 90s person, then you can move forward into the 90s. And there's a little bridge novella that takes you from one to the other. Plus, it's a secret baby that I I I believe, like, if you don't like secret baby, you're going to like this anyway. Um, it's a child soap opera star based on a friend of mine's experience. And um, it's also um, sexy Southern guy, which is always fun. So, and the audio is fantastic. And the audio is good. Aaron Mallon and Tom Taylorson do an awesome job. And um, I think that's that where I started I to say about rom-coms is that I do think casting a rom-com is more important is the is hard and you have to really be careful when you're because I mean, I'm just going to say this. Just like writing it's harder to write comedy than it is to write tragedy it is harder to act comedy than it is to act tragedy. And to find someone who can find the jokes and make them land and make them real is a challenge. I think casting is so much harder than people realize for mm -hmm. your characters of your book. I know that many, m many readers, listeners, want um, their favorite narrators to do, like they would want every book by that narrator that they read. I personally don't. I personally don't. I want, I don't want certain voices in every book because they don't fit. Like, I'm a huge Sebastian York fan. He reads it. I listen to it like obnoxiously. So, but saying that, I don't know that I want to listen to him do rom-com. I don't think that's his area. Um, it's just like, I listened to an age gap romance and uh, it was an ex's dad and Teddy Hamilton, who I adore. I think he's, you know, so nice and a great audiobook narrator. He did not have the daddy vibes. Mm. And I was like, oh, no, this is not for us. So I ended up eyeball reading it because I was like, yeah, I just can't see him in this suit wearing gruff you know, businessman type. It just didn't work for me. Like that wasn't well, that voice. You know, Karen recommended Tom Taylorson to me for my series. And that I have a book or two in there where the hero is in his fifties. And I was nervous because Tom did so great voicing my heroes who are in their twenties. And, you know, both Karen and Joe Arden were like, just trust him. Let's see what he could do. And boy, howdy, he... It really, you can tell that he is a trained actor because he just became Mick Brady as, I don't know if it was easy, but as beautifully as he became Zach Brady. Um, so I will say if if ever you can have 
Karen recommend a narrator to you. You should, <laughs> you should do that. And you should listen to all of her books too, because she does so many amazing things with sound effects uh, and chapter intros. Uh, yeah, we did a happy hour and talked about it. So I like your sound effect intros. Yeah, great. thank you. They freak people out sometimes, but whatever. it took it took me a minute. I will not lie. As I was listening, I'm like, wait, where did that revved engine sound because <laughs> I was driving like I was driving the boy child to the doctor as we were listening so well, I guess I shouldn't put like um uh any emergency vehicle sounds in my in my books that could cause a problem <laughs> you might have people like slamming on brakes like what yeah wait <laughs> yeah but I mean a gifted narrator who has a background in, in voice acting can really just nail the tone nail the role I'm a big fan. I can see that. Um, okay. Well, thank you all of you so much for hanging out and talking about rom-coms with me. Well, thank you for having us. This was delightful. Uh, anytime. Yeah, this is so great. <laughs> anytime. Um, thank you so much. And I will have linked on our website where uh, everybody can like or follow you for social media and newsletter signups and all that kind of good stuff. Linked in our on-the-shelf show notes. It's that time, everyone, for Book of the Week. So my Book of the Week this week is Fumbled by Alexa Martin. It is book two in the Playbook series. This is a secret baby, second chance romance. TK is our pro football player, um, and he and our heroine are high school sweethearts, but they broke up when he went to college. They re-meet when Poppy, our heroine, is working as a stripper to support herself and her baby. Um, Poppy is absolute girl crush material. She is so fierce and strong. And you know how much I love a secret baby. Um, Patreon update. Welcome to our new Patreon member, Amy. Uh, we're super excited to have you as a part of the podcast community, and we look forward to hanging out with you at book club and other fun things. Also, celebrating one year in the hive is Sue T, and celebrating two years in the hive is Ophelia, and celebrating three years in the hive are founding members Mindy, Carrie, Nikki, and Heather. Um, without their support, we would not be able to bring you three episodes a week, along with such fun things as... Um, buzzing book club and all of that kind of good stuff. Um, our romance swag packs are headed out this week. Um, I'm excited to share that our swag pack sponsoring authors for the month of October are Laura Lynn page, Angelina M Lopez, Mary Carr and Michaela Smetzler. Um, here are places I think you should start with these authors. Laura Lynn Page, um, she, her book Man in Charge is a standalone in Kindle Unlimited billionaire romance. Angelina M. Lopez, I'm all for After Hours on Milago Street. This is a small town romance with a super squishy cinnamon roll hero. Mary Carr, her Wild Irish series has a free first in series called Come Monday it's a professor-student romance, but our heroine is a non-traditional student. She's older. Tons of family shenanigans. And this series has another spin-off series. Um, and it all centers around the family-owned pub. 
Uh, Michaela Smetzler, she has Pretty Little Mistakes, is in KU, and it is a read and listen uh, book. Swag Pack goes out to Fancy Drink, Cold Brew, and Queen Bee Tears, and we still have fun buzzing about romance, exclusive stickers, mood reader cards, and other fun things along with the author swag that is in there. These are mailed monthly around the 10th of the month, and we do ship these internationally. There is no wait time on this perk. Um, it kicks in as soon as you join, as long as you join before the 10th of the month. Um, after that, I mail these just once monthly, so... If you join at the end of a month, you will get your first swag pack at on the 10th of the next month. Because of our amazing Patreons, we're able to bring you three episodes a week, and we're still working on our goal of 75 members so we can plan our first ever book retreat. All members of Patreon get exclusive things like Should You Read It's Buzzing After Dark and Buzzing Book Club. Um, and we are one month out from the HEA Readers event in Indianapolis, Indiana. There are still tickets available, and we would love to have you join us for our first ever Buzzing About Romance Meetup. Make sure you're following us on social media um, so you know when and where we are hanging out. Um, did you hear the news that we're recording an episode live at Barnes & Noble in Maumee, Ohio? We'll be joined by some amazing romance authors, Jennifer Hartman, Samantha Gale, Piper Rain, Callie Mel. Uh, Emily Silver, Brianna Michaels, and Dr. Rebecca Sharp, and Janice Whitaker. Make sure you're following us um, at bookcaseandcoffee.com slash events to find out where we'll be next and also includes upcoming live stream events like Happy Hours and IG Lives. Uh, until next time, everyone. Happy reading. Find us on Instagram at Buzzing About Romance or on Twitter at Buzzing Romance. If you like the podcast, please leave a review. If you'd like to support us directly, join the Bookcase and Coffee Patreon and receive exclusive content only available to Patreon members. Check out bookcaseandcoffee.com for our on-the-shelf show notes.